1: Welcome to Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. I'm fascinated by traditional industries that are being modernized by new tools. And that is today's guest and today's sector. Local journalism has been struggling for years, for decades even. The traditional models of advertising and the likes of Google and Facebook have taken so much of that away from them. But today's guest is on a mission to try and change that. He's building local journalism back up from the grassroots. Yoshi started the Manchester mill just before the pandemic started. He's now employing people across three different cities as they've expanded to Sheffield and Liverpool as well.
0: There's a certain momentum that cities get, I think. Like, they've got momentum, people are moving here, businesses are opening here, media outlets are covering here.
1: I find it an incredibly inspiring story of what he is trying to achieve with his company. They are about to go on a big growth curve, so we talked to him about jobs that he's going to be hiring for not only the traditional journalists, but how he's going to be looking for a head of growth and a sales executive. Everyone is like, I am creating the newspaper of the future. It's a fascinating episode of Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. I hope you enjoy listening and watching as much as I did recording yoshi welcome to jimmy's jobs of the future thanks very much for having me on so tell us about your model i explained it a bit in the introduction but i think you're one of the heroes that's saving local journalism without bigging you up too much at the beginning but where did (laughs) the name manchester mill come from that's a good question so i was trying to think of Something to call the publication, and
0: I'd spending days trying to think of different things and clever things. And I was had this whole idea of re- reprising a name of an old newspaper that used to exist because I think one of the very early newspapers in the north was a newsletter. And I was trying to think like, could I call it that? Um, but it had kind of a, a weird name. So eventually, I was like, if I can't think of anything, I'm just going to call it the Mill because because when I think of like Manchester, I think of, like mills and, and and all the old industry and stuff. And it's like such an evocative part of the city that you've got these mills everywhere. And I couldn't think of anything. So I was like, I'm just going to give it that name. Um,
1: so, and And actually that's
0: worked out quite well.
1: And tell us about actually the idea to kind of create and launch it, because it's a pretty crazy and bold thing that you're doing, right? If you listen to you know, sort of media outlets have been talking about the death of local journalism for a long time, but you're going right into it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I think that it's, it's wrong to talk about the death of local journalism, but it is absolutely correct to talk about the decline. I mean, there's a bit of precipitous decline in the number of people working in local journalism and in the quality of most local uh, news outlets. And that is because the economics that used to underpin local news have completely collapsed. So what you used to have in most markets, most cities, most towns, is you basically had a local advertising monopoly that was owned by that paper. So whoever could you know, afford to print uh, the, a newspaper and the enormous legacy costs of having a news staff, they could basically get a massive share of local advertising. And therefore, local newspapers used to be pretty lucrative. I mean, even in small towns, they could be like really profitable, really sizable profit margins. That really got blown up in the early 21st century, you know, between let's say, you know, year 2000 and year, you know, and now basically in the past, in the past couple of decades. And it has resulted in shrinking newspapers, uh, newspapers closing, uh, newspapers doing uh, a lot of things that aren't really associated with local news because they're trying to make some money online via online ads. So you get these kind of newspapers where you go on and they've got like celebrity stories and they've got all sorts of stuff that's nothing to do with local journalism because that's the way that they're trying to make a a bit of money via online ads. So the, the industry has been completely upended. And my idea when I went in was not that I could like kind of rescue the entire industry or I could bring back the size of local newspapers as they used to exist before, you know, Facebook and Google took so much of the advertising money. My idea was just like, could I create something that was very high quality, very distinctive. Publishes a small number of stories every week via newsletters, and is based around subscriptions rather than ads. and And, and it was a relatively like modest goal of like, could I create a little community around people who like that journalism? And it's
1: kind of grown from there. So you've had good success with Manchester, and you've since expanded to Sheffield and Liverpool. Why did you pick those cities next? So the first one was Sheffield, because a guy called Dan Hayes came forward, and he was
0: a journalist who was working for the Star in Sheffield, which is the local paper. And as soon as I started the mill, he started messaging me and saying some of the things I was writing about local journalism rang true for him. Like it, like some of the things I was describing in Manchester were also happening in Sheffield. So he worked for this newspaper where he's doing some good work, but he was having to write way too many stories every day, He was having to chase like online traffic targets, and he felt that in the time he'd been in journalism, it had moved more and more towards like creating online content for for loads of people, millions of people to read online, rather than like really focusing on serving a local audience. So clearly, like when when I spoke to Dan, it was like, okay, here's a guy who gets what I'm doing. He fully is on board with it. He believes in it. So when when we got a bit of money uh, from Substack, the the platform we used to publish. Uh, to go to another city, like that was a really obvious one. Like Dan was in Sheffield. He started the Sheffield Tribune with me. Um, and then Liverpool came along, you know, soon after that. Um, mainly, I suppose mainly because I really like Liverpool and I thought it would work really well in Liverpool. And I, and I noticed in Liverpool that the main newspaper, uh, the Echo is owned by Reach PLC, the same company that owns the MEN. So I, I had a feeling that you might have some of the same frustration with the local paper in Liverpool that you have in Manchester.
1: And so tell us about the roles that you're hiring for
0: now. So what we're doing now is we're trying to bring in a couple of senior people to basically grow up the company a bit. So, so far, we have been all journalists, basically. Everyone's writing and editing. I think we're probably at the stage now where we've got a couple of people in Manchester, a couple of part-time people, a full-time person in Liverpool, first-time person in Sheffield. We're adding, um, we're adding a second reporter in, Manche- in Sheffield and in Liverpool this month. But the high, the hires that I'm making in the next few months are about bringing in like more senior people who can grow the business a bit more. So I'm bringing in a a head of growth uh, or a growth executive, someone whose like entire focus will be like, how do we get more subscribers? How do we get people more on, on, onto our free email lists? We're also bringing in a senior editor, someone who can like really organize like our schedule every day, who's doing what, speaking to reporters all day, that kind of like backbench function that a lot of newspapers have. And the other one is about ad sales. So not just selling like advertising in our newsletters, but also selling, um, commercial, you know, subscriptions. So if an organization or a company wants to buy like 10 or 20 for their staff or that kind of thing. So I guess it's, it's a bit of a growing up moment for the company because we're going from everyone being a journalist to having like other functions in the, in the operation. And we're a very small company, but I think we're having like an outsize impact beyond, you know, our kind of staffing size. And I think bringing in these kind of roles allows us to, to monetize what we're doing better. To grow what we're doing faster, and I suppose like ultimately we want to have a really big impact on journalism, society, um, and 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 these kind of roles will I think allow us to do that faster.
1: And what is the job of a modern day journalist?
0: I think it's it's obviously changed an awful lot. I mean, when I was uh, on uh, on the London Evening Standard as a feature writer, um, you know, it was very much a hierarchy where all I had to do was write. And, um, and then there were people above me and all they had to do was edit. I think what the mill shows is that there are these new journalism roles that are a little bit more hybrid about starting a new organization and um, doing the business side and doing the growth side on top of the, the editing and the reporting. I don't think that's for everyone, but I think as the power and the sort of stature of larger media organizations starts to fade, I think what you'll see is more and more journalists taking on these kind of slightly more hybrid roles and 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 more entrepreneurial roles, like starting media companies rather than just working in media companies. I'm not saying that's for everyone, and I think like the role of a general news reporter at the Telegraph now is probably like very similar to what it was before, but um, I think there are more like routes open to like like the one I've taken in terms of what the role is of journalists in society. I just think at the moment we live in an ecosystem. Where people are inundated by information. It's not like you have to go to a newspaper to get all your information that day. You're getting inundated by information on the tube. You're getting inundated on the radio, the TV, on your phone, all the time, on your computer. So people are getting a ton of information. And I think the role of journalists moves towards making sense of that information. Which bits of information are most important? Which bits of information are true? There's a big thing in local journalism. People are seeing a lot of stuff in local Facebook groups, but which stuff is true, and what's how does it link to other things? I think like a big thing that we try and think about is like connecting the dots. Like, what is the significance of a piece of news that you've received on Facebook or you've received on Twitter or whatever? So, I do think in an era of information like super abundance um, versus the analog era where like you went to print publications and you got your information in quite a discreet way, I think there's a lot more of a role about helping people to make sense of the world. Um, analysis, um, insight, that kind of thing.
1: And how has growth worked so far? And what do you hope the new head of growth is going to be able to do and bring to the table? Yes,
0: our growth so far has mainly come from people like a story, they share it with a few friends. Like a good thing about email is like people can forward it to their friends and stuff. So you get a lot of organic growth like that. We've also had growth from like, you know, tweeting and social media and that kind of thing. But um, we've also had uh, social media ads, so like spending money on Facebook, spending money on Twitter, um, that kind of thing to to bring in um, people onto our free email list and they become a paying subscriber. So there are just lots of different channels. And currently in a a small media company like this, there's no one who's kind of thinking full-time, how do we make those channels more efficient? Where do we invest more money? Where do we invest more time? Um, Do we need to be going to these events? Do we need to be partnering with people? So I'm hoping a growth hire can really um, set us on a path to higher growth by just like, as you know, like you, things only happen when someone's really focusing on them. And I really want someone to focus on that as an area.
1: And you're also um, taking on a sales exec as well. And, and I guess what's the sort of business model in terms of you've got the paying subscribers, but you, know, you want to be reaching advertisers as well. Like what's the future of a kind of local media company?
0: Well, so I think traditionally, there have basically been two big revenue models for news, right? There have been adver- there's been advertising and there's been subscriptions. And what happens um, in the past 20 years is in local, the big media companies that own most of the newspapers, so you're talking about companies like Reach PLC and, and, and NewsQuest, they basically decided we're going to go hell for leather for advertising, right? So we are going to get as much online traffic as possible, and that's going to drive as much advertising revenue as possible. And I think that's led to some uh, lessening of quality in in online news because you're chasing those traffic targets. I think a a better um, business model for, for local news in particular is having a proper mix led by subscriptions. I think you want your main revenue model to be the money that you get from your subscribers. Why? Because it creates the incentive the right incentive. Instead of incentivizing you to reach millions of people every month, it incentivizes you to serve the people who really read you really well. And basically, if you drop, let the quality drop off, you're going to lose subscribers. So there's like a very good incentive there. Very good. Um, uh, it lines up very well with like the mission of a local newspaper. So so far, we've been almost all subscriptions. Now we're selling um, advertising as well. Um, it's very like small, inobtrusive advertising. It's like someone sponsors an edition, right? So you find out about that organization. So like the one who's advertising with us next week would be um, Manchester Museum, right? Uh, They want to get a certain message out to to people in Manchester, and and they advertise with us. So it's kind of like small, inobtrusive, high-value advertising that I think goes really well with subscriptions and still being led by reader revenue because I think that creates the right incentives. So I'd like to get someone in who can sell those those ads who can create partnerships with with local companies and organizations who want to advertise with us and you know across our three cities we now have about sixty five thousand people on our email list free email list right four and a half thousand of those are paying us with subscribers so I think we've got a good value proposition not only have we got a decent number of people you can reach but like a good proportion of them are so bought in that
1: they're that they're paying so I think that's a good proposition to go to advertisers with yeah and that's pretty good right eight eight percent uh you know paying is is pretty good. I know a lot of newsletters would be uh, would be sort of thrilled with that that kind of model. Um, mm. and so what what else what what kind of in, inspired you to do this? and and what did your friends and family say when you were going to do this? I think some people
0: thought it was a bit mad because, as you said earlier, this industry, i mean, media generally has been a bad industry to be in in terms of a business. Uh, local media has been a complete, you know, a complete wipeout really in in, in terms of business models. So I think some people maybe thought it was a bit nuts, but I suppose that, I don't know what, I, I think that right at the beginning, I kind of saw it more as an experiment. Like I was just like, okay, if I put journalism that I really, really like onto a newsletter in very small volumes and I serve local readers really well, will people be willing to pay for that? So it was almost like a kind of, I had a hypothesis and I wanted to check if it was correct and get some data. And so maybe for the first six months, I probably didn't present it to everyone as like, I am creating the newspaper of the future in Manchester. I probably more made it sound like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try and find out the answer to this question. And I always had this hunch that if you gave people really high quality local journalism, they would pay for it. And that the reason they're generally not paying for it now is either they're not being asked to pay for it, or if they're being asked to pay for it. They've been given so much low quality stuff by those companies that they don't want to anymore. So, I, so I, I, I had this idea and I wanted to see if like, I guess I wanted to see if it bore out.
1: Well, it's certainly doing that. I mean, I do have a bit of a theory about wider, and I don't think this is true actually in your case, but wider substacks. I do wonder if there's a problem, a cultural challenge in the UK about you know, people not used to paying for news because Mm. of the BBC, and also just because there's less of a a tipping culture and less of a kind of micropayments culture than there is in the States. I, I just wonder whether there'll be a bit of a cultural barrier. Have you noticed that at all? I struggle with this one because on the one hand,
0: the data shows, so like the Reuters Institute, for example, they in Journalism Institute, they look into this stuff. They show that we as a country pay for digital subscriptions for local news at like one of the lowest rates in like the, in in the developed world right on the other hand if you think about every brit pretty much every brit who consumes media they're also paying for the bbc license fee right so they're mm. actually paying a very large amount of money per year or per month so i don't really know how to compare it like people kind of a lot of people might feel like well i'm already paying this 160 a year like I'm, I'm doing my, I'm doing my bit. I'm paying for journalism. Unfortunately, the BBC has kind of retrenched, moved away from local a lot. So you're not actually getting much local journalism for that. You're getting some local radio, some local TV, but like not, not terribly detailed always. So I think that, I think you're right that people need to be persuaded to pay for high quality local journalism again. But I don't think it's just on people to. Recognize that and just start paying for stuff. It's like no, you have to give stuff that's really compelling. Like you have to, you have to publish stuff that is super compelling and that really, really, you know, gets people interested and that feels qualitatively different to what they've been given for free. And then they maybe will pay. So I'm not, I'm not pessimistic um, about that. And I think we've seen really good early signs that people will pay. As you say, a lot of people are converting from our free email list to our paid one. But I think you're right that like it's not like in the US where there's just like a real culture of I pay for my regional paper and I pay for my national paper. We don't quite have that.
1: And where do you think might be next? Because obviously you've got you know ambitious plans. You've already sort of um, expanded an enormous amount, even though you've only been going a few years. Where's next on the list?
0: So I think we'll be led by where people come forward and want to do it. Um, I've had contacts from journalists in a couple of other cities recently saying, would you ever consider doing your model here? Would you ever work with me and do it there? And I think that if we get a bit of money in and we, you know, we're looking to raise a little bit of money, I think that we will be able to go to some other places. I think the biggest criteria is, is there a a really passionate local journalist there who really believes that it can work? Like journalists know their patch. They know their readers. They know what people are after if there's someone who really really believes in it and really makes thinks it well i think that's the first precondition the second is i think our journalism goes down particularly well in like larger uh cities where there are maybe a couple of universities or a lot of professionals because the kind of journalism we're doing including a lot of long form journalism et cetera, tends to appeal more to people who maybe you call like broadsheet readers you know maybe a bit more of a middle class professional audience so i mm-hmm. think it will work better in in Leeds and Birmingham and Newcastle, than it might work in, you no know, in, in Rotherham, for example. Um, and you might need a different kind of model in Rotherham. So I, I can only speak for kind of where it's worked so far, I suppose. But um, I'm excited to take it to other places, as long as it's not us imposing like a business on a place. Like it has to be like someone there really believes in it, and someone there really thinks
1: there's an audience for it, and then we'll, you know, we'll give it a go. Yeah, has to kind of be led by a groundswell. Do you think it could work in London? It's so funny. I was at a
0: journalism oh, summit yesterday. Bit. Yeah, maybe. I was at a journalism summit yesterday in London. It was organized by Tina Brown. It was uh it was a, about a kind of investigative journalism summit in honor of Sir Harry Evans. And a journalist friend who I know came up to me and said, When are you gonna do London? And I was kind of thinking, like, I've worked in London on the London Evening Standard, it's such a big place. I think to create a real impact there, you'd need a bigger team. Like at the moment, I think we're having a decent impact in Manchester, Liverpool and Sheffield with like one or two people per city. I think in London, you'd probably need like three times that, uh, just to start off with and build it from there. I think it would be more of an operation. I 100% think things like this can work in London, but, um, you know, it's such a vast place in order to make, in order to, for people to notice you, I think it would take a lot more. It would take a lot more. So maybe maybe it's a thing that eventually happens or or maybe it's not maybe it's this is a thing that's really needed outside london and it's not
1: really needed in london i'm 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 open to that right well, it's, yeah it's it's fascinating um because yeah i mean the evening standard is is so much thinner than it was and is struggling with all the problems that you outlined at, at the beginning you know it was almost a national yeah. newspaper in, in its own right but now it's it's just um it's just struggling which is um which is, as living in London now, I find it sad to see. It was such a kind of like staple part of like coming to the city. And and it was that place where you got real local news kind of at the at the beginning. But um, yeah.
0: And, and to give an example of that, when I worked on the Evening Standard in 2011, 2012, 2013, we had eight feature writers. It was eight feature writers and three features editors. And when I spoke to someone there on the features desk recently, they have one feature writer and one features editor. So it's like, it's not just that the paper feels about half the size that it used to, or a third or whatever it is. It's that the staffing behind it is dramatically reduced, so you're just getting much less variety, you're using freelance more um you're struggling to fill out the paper so it's the the evening standard is a pretty like pretty sad, I think example of of how things have changed in the past decade, and like I do think people should wake up to the issue in society we have now around news like i think it's like a, it's like a bit of a key bit of national infrastructure information infrastructure right so not like train tracks or whatever so it's less tangible but it's a massive part of our national infrastructure that is falling apart it's being depleted it's disappearing and um, london's a good example of that but i think in some of these northern cities and towns it's even starker yeah
1: Totally agreed on that. So I wanted to ask about one of the pieces that the mill has written about, uh, the influencer economy and how Manchester's the home of it, because it was fascinating to read as that. I have a close uh, alignment with Manchester having grown up in Derbyshire and so on. And it was really interesting to read. And also it made me think that it's partly what you're doing as well in terms of like that creator economy, perhaps to give it a different name. Um, and I was fascinated as to as to why Manchester was the effectively the capital of it in the UK. Yeah, it's a good question.
0: Um, Molly wrote a great piece about that for us. I think that it's it's been interesting to see which like sectors do really well in Manchester, right? It's not always the most high value sectors like financial services or like you know industry that's that's super specialized. It's kind of like. You've got a lot of fast fashion. You've got a lot of online retail to do with like selling clothes, right? You've got Boohoo and, and companies like that. And I think that's partly why there's been such a proliferation of like influencers and Instagram people and TikTok people here is because you've got these big fast fashion brands here and they kind of fund that ecosystem. Like they need influencers to promote their stuff. So I think that's been part of it. You've got, you've got also a thing in Manchester where like there's a lot of digital savvy. And it's being used for like marketing and advertising, and I think the influencer stuff is obviously in that world. It's kind of a form of marketing. What you're lacking maybe in Manchester is some of the more high value professions where people can earn a bit more and 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 um, higher value uh, value add and that kind of thing. And that's particularly the case in these like towns around Manchester, like Oldham and stuff, where you really like you need to rebuild a higher wage economy. So that's that's maybe going into economics a bit too much for the influencer answer, but it's 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 hard to say exactly why. That kind of thing has really like gone wild in Manchester. But I think it might have something to do with that fast fashion link.
1: And what are your sort of, what are the best things about Manchester that people might not be aware about? Because you're right, it does feel like it's having um, an incredible moment. The digital savvy part is true. You know, Amazon have um, built a big office there. You've got THG, which, whilst it's had problems with, you know, um, market prices employs 10,000 people it's a pretty kind of extraordinary story in its own right there is a really interesting side of the economy that's happening in manchester what what are some of the stories that we might not be aware of i think culture is really really good in manchester
0: um i don't don't mean that every time i go to something in manchester i love it and i like don't think the art side of things is always amazing but like clearly like the music side is really really strong um the football side is really really strong there's a lot of energy in hospitality here, loads of new bars and restaurants. Um, so it feels like the city is responding really strongly to a lot more people living in it. Like the city centre of Manchester barely used to have any inhabitants, and now it's got tens of thousands. And you can feel that that's creating all these new businesses. And I think people thought in the pandemic, loads of hospitality businesses would go out, would would go bust. And actually not that many licences got returned. So you've got this very robust hospitality that's driven by the fact that way more people live in the city centre. So you've got kind of city centre living really, really taking off. You've also just got like the fact that, you know, if you're in London, it takes hours to escape to the countryside. If you're in Manchester, you know, you can drive out to, you can drive out to the moors or you can drive out to the peaks like within like, you know, 35, 40 minutes or whatever. So there's a lot of quality of life stuff clearly like people here complain about property prices here going up a lot and they have gone up a lot but compared to London like when i speak to my friends in london who are buying houses it's like you know you can get a, a lovely house with a garden here for for 300 grand you know um a semi detached house like very near to the to the city centre with 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 a lovely garden and obviously in london you wouldn't be able to get like a garage for that so it's just like there's that factor um it, it's it's hard to it's hard to quite pin down but there's a certain momentum that cities get i think like they've got momentum people are moving here businesses are opening here media outlets are covering here and that's what's happened with manchester and i think a lot of the other cities in the north kind of look at manchester and are a little bit envious of that sort of just like inbuilt momentum and energy it has at the moment
1: yeah cities are either going up or they're going down and manchester is 100 percent going up um and you yeah, know that's uh That's partly because of the political side over the last 10 years as well. I mean, you don't want to get too political about it. I think George Osborne put a lot of emphasis on the Northern powerhouse. Mm. And I think Andy Burnham has done like a pretty impressive job as well of kind of like banging the drum constantly for it as well. So just to, just to be even to, to both sides before I get criticized by one or the, uh, one or the other. What do you wish, like when you started this journey, what do you wish you could go back and tell yourself?
0: yeah it's a good question, because right at the beginning, it was actually pretty lonely. Like when I started it, i didn't I didn't raise money and I didn't have a team, so it's very lonely. And I think I was very confident that people would like it, but i it was hard to see it being like really fun because it was just me doing it on my own. It was like the pandemic. It was a grim time generally. I think I'd probably, you know say to myself that like you know, sit with it and like try and imagine like what it would be like when it's bigger. I've always had this sense of what it'd be like when it was bigger, like when I was doing it on my own. What it'd be like with three people, not, you know, what it'd be like with ten people. But um, I think, you know, I'd, you know, you probably just, I'd, I'd, I'd probably just try and like get myself through that early time because that early time was tough. Actually, like first couple of months, there were days that I really loved, and there were days that were like, you know, you felt really down because it's just like you, you, you felt like I was trying to create something out of nothing, and like, would people like it and it's, there's so many different emotions going on when you start a new thing like this, particularly when you're making a big claim, like we're going to revolutionize journalism in Manchester. So um, that, that's probably what I would say.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that's um, that's fair. And, and give us a, an example of, well, give us your thoughts on where it might be in five, ten years' time. To follow up to that, you've imagined it with three people, you've imagined it with eight. What does the future look like?
0: I can, I mean, I can 100% imagine it with hundreds of people because I think this, Kind of journalism and this kind of model um, and this kind of way of doing um, reporting can be a a quality solution to journalism in loads of places. I'm not necessarily saying that I'll be you know running it in dozens of different places because you know maybe someone else will or or, or maybe you know other people come along with the same model. But I think this kind of model has a real future because what it's about is saying journalism needs to be about a relationship. Between a media company and its readers, it can't just be about piling up traffic. It can't just be about gaming, uh, Google to get some search traffic. It has to be about a relationship. And I think if you can rebuild the relationship and people trust you, um, and you know, we, we know there are massive issues with trust between people and, and, and media companies at the moment, including the BBC. If you can get people to trust what you're doing, if you can build up a relationship with them, then I think you can potentially have a really big media company out of that. Um, because people respond well to it. People will pay for subscriptions. They'll pay to go to events. Um, you will be able to rebuild the, the revenue model for, for local news. So I think, you know, I, I imagine a future where we've got loads and loads of staff and where we've got various locations and where we've got the ability to do video and podcasts and, you know, long reads that take six months to work on and all that kind of thing. I think this country is very good at day-to-day newsy journalism and not very good at the kind of journalism that's a bit more contemplative that takes longer that involves um understanding the full humanity in people and 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 uh and digging into the the kind of stories that aren't just about this person said this thing or this think tank has released this report i think there's a whole layer um to be excavated um below a lot of stories that that, that we talk about and that's kind of been my philosophy with the mail and i think that could work in lots of places so i i i'm imagining a future where that's like um a, a
1: solution to, uh, to the local journalism crisis in, in lots of places. The topic on everyone's lips, AI, chat GPT, how do you think that's going to influence and impact local journalism?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know any more than you do, but I suspect that a couple of things will happen. One is that business models that are fundamentally about gaming the system, like trying to create uh, stories that specifically are for like SEO, I think that will probably get wiped out. And that's not a bad thing because having Mm -hmm. journalists write stuff that isn't original reporting, that isn't great writing. It's just, Hey, can you summarize what this celebrity said on the new on the TV this morning? So that when people search that celebrity's name, they'll find it on Google. That's not journalism. I've got no idea why media companies have got dozens of people doing that stuff. I don't think that will stick around for long because if people, if search becomes about chat. Then it won't so much be about like going to web pages. Sure, they might be cited. It'll be more like answer, ask the next question, people will stay in the chat function. So I think the whole value of web pages and people going to them will be reduced. And people will go to web pages a lot less. I think another big thing is people will get their basic information. Let's call it their aggregation from the AIs. So it's like tell me the five things I need to know about today that can be done by the AI. It can pull in from 10 different sources, right? It can pull in not just from journalism sources, but from the police and from, you know, for your local groups and whatever. You can even ask it in future to, you know, tell me five things that I would be interested in Manchester today. I think that kind of aggregational stuff will be done in within the chatbots. I think the role of media companies, and this should already have been our role, right? Like this should already have been our mission, is to do the very complex, high value add journalism that involves talking to people, investigating things, probably using some of these chatbot tools to investigate things as well, you know, like make it more efficient. But I think we should be the ones who really add value. Like, you know, I I I'm happy for a bot to summarize the five stories I need to know about this morning, but I'm not happy for the bot to do a long, complex investigation into um, an inquest which shows that a big company has has done something really badly wrong. Obviously, you, you don't want the bot doing that, you want a human doing that. Obviously you don't want the bots doing the, I'm going to have t- seven sensitive conversations with the victims of a particular crime and I'm going to write about how they connect. So I think it should clarify what the role of journalist actually is. Um, and the role of journalists is about selecting, checking, like actually being on the ground, talking to people, using human empathy and sensitivity. And by the way, like that's kind of been the ethos of what we've been doing from the beginning with the mill. So I, hopefully it won't be a massive departure, but like this, this ecosystem, this media ecosystem where we've built up, where so much is about aggregating stuff that other people have said. A celebrity said this, Piers Morgan said this, a think tank said this. It makes no sense. Uh, that kind of stuff, I'm happy for AIs to do that. I think journalists should be free to do actual journalism and i think if they are we'll probably end up with richer better journalism rather than what we've got at the moment which i think is um on the whole um a bit of a mess
1: that is a brilliant way to finish and summing up what the future looks like yoshin thanks so much for coming on jimmy's jobs of the future all of the links to the different publications are all in the show notes so people can click there and subscribe um and we will also put it on our substack as well which people can subscribe to that will be there as well um, because I think what you're doing is brilliant and so important so thanks so much for sparing the time and coming on Jimmy's Jobs thank you very much thank you for having me on thanks for listening to Jimmy's Jobs of the Future we've come a long way since our first episode when I started recording this on my own in my daughter's nap times we are now a team that not only pulls together a podcast but also creates content on multiple channels, whether that is our Substack, looking at the latest trends in business, entrepreneurship, and the future of work, or some of our more lighthearted takes on TikTok. And of course, our best moments are on YouTube. To find all our socials and best content links, click on the links in the show notes below.